Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. I swear to fulfill to the best of my ability and judgment this covenant. I will respect the hard-won scientific gains of those physicians in whose steps I walk and gladly share such knowledge as is mine with those who are to follow. I will apply for the benefit of the sick all measures that are required, avoiding those twin traps of overtreatment and therapeutic nihilism. I will remember that there is art to medicine as well as science, and that warmth, sympathy, and understanding may outweigh the surgeon's knife or the chemist's drug. I will not be ashamed to say I know not, nor will I fail to call in my colleagues when the skills of another are needed for a patient's recovery. I will respect the privacy of my patients, for their problems are not disclosed to me that the world may know. Most especially must I tread with care in matters of life and death. If it is given to me to save a life, all thanks. But it may also be within my power to take a life. This awesome responsibility must be faced with great humbleness and awareness of my own frailty. Above all, I must not play at God. I will remember that I do not treat a fever chart, a cancerous growth, but a sick human being whose illness may affect the person's family and economic stability. My responsibility includes these related problems if I am to care adequately for the sick. I will prevent disease whenever I can for prevention is preferable to cure. I will remember that I remain a member of society with special obligations to all my fellow human beings, those sound of mind and body, as well as the infirm. If I do not violate this oath, may I enjoy life and art, respected while I live and remembered with affection thereafter. May I always act so as to preserve the finest traditions of my calling, and may I long experience the joy of healing those who seek my help. The Prima Deer, session number 550. Hello, and welcome to The Premed Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Premed Years. Thank you so much for joining me today. 
We are episode 550, and every 50 episodes, I try to remember. I, I don't know if I actually have. I think I have. I try to remember, do the Hippocratic Oath. is something I started a long time ago. That's the modern version of the Hippocratic Oath, one written by Louis Lasagna, or Lasagna, uh, the uh, former academic dean of School of Medicine at Tufts University, written in 1964. I, I like the modern Hippocratic Oath versus the original one. Um, nothing against our good friend Hippocrates. Uh, but hopefully you enjoyed that. Uh, I love reading that. I love thinking about it and what it means and uh, kind of the role of a physician in society and all of that good stuff. Before we jump into a great episode today from a student who uh, went from a 2.7-ish GPA uh, getting into med school, we have the MCAT Minute brought to you by our good friends at Blueprint MCAT. As you are going through this journey, make sure that you are using all of the resources that are available to you, including free ones that Blueprint MCAT has. That includes a free study planner tool, free half-length diagnostic, free full-length exam, and much more. Go check them out at blueprintmcat.com. Let's go and jump in to our guest today. We're going to be talking to Alex about her journey to medical school. Alex, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This is amazing. I'm so excited to chat with you. I love leading off these conversations with the the most basic question that you should have nailed at this point since you're a medical student. When did you first realize you wanted to be a doctor? So I think I'm one of the small minority of people that knew that they wanted to be doctors since I was about 11. Um, so it's, it's been a good chunk of my life that I yeah. knew this. Um, Why? Why 11? I, what happened? So when I was 11, my dad had a stroke and mm. it paralyzed half of his body. And so thankfully he's alive with us. He's okay. But it definitely was stressful for a few years mm. and it, threw us into the world of medicine very early on, especially me, because my parents, um, the language is still an issue. Uh, both my parents came from Peru. My dad was here first, so he like knew the language better than my mom. And so when all this happened, we were seeing specialists and going for PTs and um, occupational therapists and nurses and neuro neurologists and just basically everybody you could think of. Yeah. Um, and with that came a lot of medical jargon that I thought was the coolest thing. Like, <laughs> I was 11, I was like, I don't know what any of this means, but you'd see, you know, physicians would come in and just their demeanor and just the whole situation just felt like a movie is what I could compare it to. But yeah. I know that being the kind of the interpreter for my mother was a lot. And um, it, it was, it had its good and, and bad moments, but um yeah, from that point on, I just saw how they cared for my dad throughout the years, just as a team and different specialties. And so I, I didn't necessarily know I wanted to be a doctor at that point, but I knew I wanted to be in healthcare in some way. Yeah, what what was it about uh, that that jargon they were speaking? And and you're this 11 year old uh, kid that's like, oh my gosh, there's this whole world out there. Did what what was exciting about it? Was it you saw your dad getting help? Was it just this whole world of white coats and stethoscopes? Like if you, if you could remember back to, to what was um, kind of intriguing, cause, cause when I talk to students, I'm like, there are lots of kids out there who have parents, grandparents, et cetera, with health issues. What was it for you that really drew you in and, and made you that excited? I think for me, it was 
one that it was a, a challenge for me because for once I had like a, a leg up to my parents, like my parents in the sense that like I knew a little bit of what was going on just because of the language, because that was what was limiting my mom. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it was just like, just the fast pace of everything. You know, it, it was like we, he was in the uh, ICU for a few months and, you know, you just, I kept seeing so many different things happen from day to day. And I can't tell you one particular thing. I just, there was just always movement and it just felt in a weird way comforting. That's the only way I can say it. It, it was like the weirdest thing that it, you would think, okay, it just feels cold if you're in a hospital setting and, you know, there's patients and everyone's sick, but I felt like super comfortable and yeah. uh, it was, it was a weird experience, but I felt like, you know, I wanted to learn what was happening. I wanted to be able to help my mom more and be like, okay, this is what's going on. Even though I kind of didn't really know what I was talking about. I was 11. Mm-hmm. Um, but just the whole experience was just super eye opening. And I think too, before that, we had never really been in a situation where we had to be in a patient setting for that, for that long yeah. ever. And so that being that he was there for so long at the beginning, especially I had to be there with him, with yeah. my whole family. And it was like, this ended up being like a second home in a yeah. really weird way. Yeah. And and at 11 years old, as you mentioned, right, this this language part that you were able to help with as an 11 year old, there's got to be a, a sense of accomplishment there that you're obviously not thinking about in the moment to be like, oh, look how accomplished I am. I'm the, mm-hmm. the interpreter here. But but it obviously uh, subconsciously, at the very least, gave you some confidence that this is an environment that you actually are comfortable in and, and can help in and and kind of set, set this path in motion. So that's that's awesome. So from 11 years old, you, you're on the pre-med train and no derailments, no issues, everything goes perfect, right? That's that's how this always goes. Right, right. <laughs> so that's how we made it. That's, that's how, how we, we make it. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's just just like if there were struggle, it'd be boring. Um yeah. You head off, head off to college pre-med, like you're, you're thinking when you go off to college, I, I'm going to be a doctor. So I'm going to do the, all of the pre-med stuff. Was that the plan? Yeah. And you know, in high school, I was like top of my class, like top 5%. I was mm-hmm. doing clubs. I was also working because I had to, I was, um, I had two younger siblings with me. And so I had to be not only excelling academically, but I also had to be working. So I had two part-time jobs. Yeah the time I was about 14 and a half, 15. Um, and so basically all of my high school career, I was doing both. And I was like, this is a piece of cake. I'm killing it here. I'm killing it here. I'm just going to go to college and everything's going to be great. And that's <laughs> if only. <laughs> hit me like a truck. Yeah. Yeah. What, what happened? <laughs> like you, you go off to college. Did, did you go far away from home? Like what, what did that transition just kind of uh, logistically look like? So I, so in high school, you know, I worked and I went to school because I had to. And at the same time, it, it came easy to me in high school. I was like, okay, this is great. I'm just going to transition to college and it'll be same thing. Yeah. And when I got to college, I think it was a few things. And like, every time I go through this story, I try to like piece it together differently. Our memories, you know, yeah. are not the most reliable, but from what I can remember is 
the beginning, I thought one thing was that I never really asked for help. I always did it my own thing. I always took on everything. And up until that point, it always worked for me. You know, I just brute force pushed through it and it worked. Yeah. Um, did, did it work or things you, you were smart enough that all of the dips just weren't really big dips? You know, it could have been both. But it never caught up with me. And so I was like, okay, everything's great. And obviously in college, it's, it, it's a totally different um, situation. Yeah. It's a totally different load. And I think also the transition was, I didn't go that far from home. I was about three hours away. Okay. Um, but it was my first time living alone and I was like, well, I've had jobs since high school. Like, this is going to be just a little hump that I'm going to get over. Like I always do. And I went in thinking that I could take on the world and work. Yeah. And that lasted me till about sophomore year. And then it just came crashing down. So you, uh, you start off college pre-med. I, I'm going to be a doctor since since I was a little girl, this is what I wanted. And and you worked from from day one, just working right away. Mm-hmm. And and full time student, twelve plus credits. Mm-hmm. I and, did um, AP classes and I did college dual enrollment. Like that's why in my mind I was like, college is going to be yeah. fake. I already did two classes and then okay. Okay, yeah. what was it about the college classes that finally? Right, the 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 straw that broke the the camel's back, so to speak. What was it about the classes? Was it a different work schedule? Was it was it really just like class? Um, like the the uh the sh- I can't think of the right word. Like the hardness of the class, the, mm-hmm. how the difficult class. the class was. Yeah, the difficulty, the hardness, whatever. I think <laughs> I think honestly, I think it was what I was doing wasn't. It wasn't lasting long term, and I think in college things were just like you said, like the, the hardness, the class load was just much, much harder. Um, and on top of that, I felt like okay, well, I had done so well up to this point, I could take it up a notch, and I worked even more. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Like, year, I was like, yeah, yeah like, let's just keep going. Yeah. You know? Um, but w- was was part of that just college finance stuff, like paying for college and all of that, or were you taking on a bigger burden of, of home stuff, or were you just like, why not? I think it was both. I yeah. mean, I my my parents didn't have the means to pay for college, so any money that I got from the beginning was all scholarship academic money. Mm-hmm. But that only lasted so long; I didn't get full rides or anything. And so, I at the beginning it was a necessity, and being that I had always done it, I can just keep going and keep this lifestyle. And I think through that, I started to realize that there was a missing piece in the sense that when I was at home, you know, there was little things I didn't have to worry about because I lived with my family and I had that support that I didn't have to come up with in college. And, you know, it, it was just on a different level versus in college, I finally was on my own trying to figure that, you know, kind of unpack what it's like to be on your own and living independently for the first time on top of everything else. And I think once I kept going on that same track, it was like the railroad tracks were going to stop at some point. Yeah. You were not going to keep going on this road because it's just not, it's not, 
It's not working. I can't think of the word now. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not working. Long term, it's just not going to work. Yeah, it's not working. So at what point, if ever, did did you potentially have any doubts about your ability to to li- live this dream of becoming a physician, right? The, a, a lot of students go into school thinking I have to be a 4.0 student. I have to be perfect. And here you are on, on the struggle bus. A lot of students get feedback from advisors, mentors, et cetera, or just internally think, oh, well, there goes my shot. Did, did that thought ever cross your mind? Oh, all the time. Yeah. Every, every time I, you know, every time I, I did poorly on a quiz or, you know, maybe didn't do so well on an exam. And it wasn't like all the time. It was like here and there, you, you started to see a little bit of a pattern because I would be taking on more hours than hour studying. And I just kept doing it. And I started to see a pattern. I was like, maybe, you know, maybe this is the right track. But in my mind, I was like, well, I've always been able to turn it around. And so this should be no different. And I quickly started to see my first semester, I, I did well. I got straight A's. My second semester was my first B. I was like, okay, okay. I can still, uh, I'm still not, not struggle yet, but yeah. I'm starting to feel fatigue. I'm starting to feel that. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what burnout was yet. Mm-hmm. I was like, I'm still going, I'm still going. And then sophomore year is when you start, at least for me, I started taking more pre-med classes. And I thought, um, you know, why don't I take genetics and physics and calc and and statistics? I took all four in that semester. I was like, why not? Why not? Just, just figure it out. Why know? not? And were Were you getting here? Let me Let me ask why. Let me answer why not. Um, potentially, uh, were you getting? You mentioned earlier, right? You didn't reach out for help um, very much in high school. You were doing just fine. Were you getting feedback from an advisor at that point saying, hey, Alex, this isn't the best idea? Honestly, when I put those classes together, no. Okay. Um, they they had gotten, I got feedback from them later when I was already kind of. <laughs> when you already made class. the mistake. When I already made the mistake, <laughs> I was like, well, now what? I'm like, well, yeah. you're here. Well, that's okay. Um. But beforehand, no. And I think that that has to do with the school. I went to a very large school. Um, UCF was, at the time, we were like first or second population-wise, largest campus in the country. Huge, yeah. And so I think it was one of those things where if you didn't ask for help, it would be very easy for you not to get the help that you needed. It was there. The resources were available. But if yeah. you didn't go out and get them, then yeah. here we are. Here you are. Okay. At what point did you hit a brick wall? You, you mentioned sophomore year. It seems like things kind of came to a head. What what happened then? Um, so sophomore year, things just kind of, it was almost like a domino effect. Um, sophomore year, I was like, you know what? I think I've been doing decent. I would handle both job and school. Okay, let me do this and just take it off. Because, okay, why not? I don't know what I was thinking. But, um, I remember that semester I was applying for like the pre-med fraternity that we had and I didn't get it because the day that we were supposed to go, I had a shift that I had to be at and I, you know, chose job over academics again. I was like, okay, you know, that's one. And then around that same time, 
you know, I wasn't doing well in calc. I was starting to like go down. Statistics weren't, wasn't really clicking. And around that same time, I just started to feel kind of like the burning, the burning sensation where you're just starting to hit that fatigue. Things aren't clicking more and more and more. And for me, it wasn't all at once. It was kind of like, just keep going, just keep pushing through. And around that same semester, my aunt died. And in one way, I, I think, you know, I, I, was, I wasn't very close to her. But at the same time, it was like the final, I felt like I was starting to go numb. And then that happened and it just took me over the edge. And that semester I failed all of my classes. Failed, failed them. Failed. Yeah. And that's when I was just kind of like, what am, what, like it, it was, it was almost that moment of at the end of the semester, what am I, what am I going to do? How am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. And that's when I went to the advisors. And I was like, what do I do? Yeah. And they were just like, and, yeah. and were these the pre-health advisors or just general advisors? Do you remember? I think one of them was a pre-health advisor and the two, the other ones were general advisors. Okay. Because the first general advisors kind of told me, yeah, pre-med, Maybe that's not you. Maybe you should consider a totally different major. Yeah. And I was just like, what, what do you mean? I've wanted this since I was 11. I've yeah. worked through every obstacle up to this point. Yeah. So this is a new piece that I haven't encountered and I need to figure out how to do it. Yeah. Um, and it, it just kind of kept giving the same sort of advice. The pre-health advisor, the general advisor was like, you really should consider doing something else. Yeah. This is going to be... Even though, even though up to this point, your track record is I'm a good student, I can handle this. You have one bad semester with things kind of compounding, it sounds like, um, with the, the last straw and uh, being your aunt passing. And there's that knee jerk, like, oh, you failed classes, you're not cut out to be a doctor. Um, and it's hard to hear it from people who are supposed to be advising you, right? Supposed to be guiding you. And you, I'm assuming have this internal dialogue too. That's like, oh, well maybe, maybe I'm not smart enough, right? Maybe, maybe I, I can't do this. Mm-hmm. What did, what did you do? So that semester, I. Wait, wait, just, just for, uh, I love timelines. Was this sp- spring or fall of your sophomore year? Fall, fall or was... spring. Yeah. Fall. Okay. Sophomore year. Okay. So three semesters into college, roughly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, So they were like, well, you know, you should consider this and do another option. I'm like, okay, well, what else do I have? Because I'm, I'm not changing my, my direction. Like this is what I wanted for a long time. (laughs) So you you drew a line in the sand. I'm still going to be a doctor. And I talked to my mom and she was like, listen, I, I didn't leave a whole country, a whole life, a whole career, bring you here, not knowing the language, not knowing culture, not knowing anything, starting from the bottom of the bottom yeah. for you to hit your first wall and be like, oh, well, turn around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. Nope. Not going to happen here. <laughs> that, that is the absolute, like, that's the definition of immigrant perseverance. Like, wh- what do you mean you stopped? You just keep going. <laughs> 
that's that's cute. That's funny. Yeah. Um, and so she was like, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what the next step is because it's I, I don't know, but yeah. you need to you need to keep going, you need to figure it out. And so then I went to the third advisor mm-hmm. and they were like, Well, you know, I should consider this. I, I understand that, but what else do I have? And they're like, Well, you know, you could do um they had great forgiveness at the time. And they're like, well, you can do that and you can try to pray, forgive yeah. those courses. You yeah. get two. So the other two will stay and you'll just have to kind of. You know, when when you talk about grade forgiveness, are you talking about UCF having a policy of grade forgiveness? Are mm-hmm. you talking? Okay. Because for, for medical school, they don't really care about that, right? Because every grade has to be counted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So great forgiveness on an undergraduate level. I just want to make sure everyone who's listening understands your specific university may forgive some grades, but ultimately everything has to go on your med school application. And and the DO application five plus years ago, maybe six at this point, uh, used to do grade forgiveness, but they uh, have since stopped doing that. Yeah, they stopped. All all my grades are present. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Um, Okay, so so this third advisor's giving you some hope. Mm-hmm. So they gave me some hope, and I'm like, okay, I'll take it. So I took it. Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, you don't just change from night and day. Even if you go through a situation, it's yeah. not like, oh, I'm me 2.0 now. Like it's, you know, so part of me of the workaholic side of me was still like, you know, you can still do it. You still have to pay for things. You know, how are you going to? figure it out. You can't, don't even look at loans. It's not an option. You, you got to just, you know, and at the time I was like, okay, well, I'll just keep pushing. And my work hours were essentially the same. Yeah. And I didn't, you know, ask for help. Like I did. I, I just said, Oh, I'm just going to focus really hard this time Yeah. because I, I clearly I didn't just, focus just go in with that. a better mindset. I'm just going right. to focus more. <laughs> I'll just focus more and I will take maybe one. I think, the next one, I I only took statistics and genetics, I believe, or, or statistics and physics. I, I left the other okay. two alone. I was like, let me let me take two, and I'll take. I took like a developmental psych and some other okay. class, just something a little uh, less difficult. And I ended up getting a B and then a C in statistics. Okay. Dang it. Okay. Well, that that was my in my mind. I thought that was my chance because I know how the grades would go on later on um and so then i had to look at my gpa and everything and then other things started happening you know at that point if you don't make a certain amount in or i'm sorry not that semester the second semester after that i took on more classes and at this point my gpa started to scare me because you know i had the advisors in my head telling me you really are going to have to change your major because at this rate, it's not going to go well. You're, you're not, you're not going to go, you know, you'd have to do some Hail Mary maneuvers over here. And I'm like, okay, cool. Um, very comforting. So yeah. at this point, I'm just scared of my GPA moving at all. So mm-hmm. there was some semesters from that point on where if I felt like I took Orgo twice, um, yeah. no, sorry, I took it three times because the first time was right after had to learn my lesson was still working as much as I did. 
I was like, okay, that was a bus. And I withdrew. And what I didn't know was that once you get dropped from a class, if you're using financial aid and things like that, that or scholarship, they want that money back. So, Oh, that's not nice. (laughs) Yeah. So I couldn't just, Oh, you know, I didn't take, I just withdrew. It was like, no, we paid for that class. So now you owe money. And I'm like, okay, well now I have to work. And so it was like this, like back and forth work academics, scared of GPA, come back work. And so it was just like this. I felt like I had one arm behind my back at all times. And I think from that point on, I was scared to even take too much on. I was scared to ask for help too, because at this point I just felt embarrassed. I felt shameful. Like, you know, I've always been top of top of the class. You know, I'm the friend group. I'm the person in the friend group that everybody's like, wow, she knows she's so mature. She's so wise. She's been through all these life experiences, you know, ask them. So I felt like I, I didn't even know who to go who to go towards. Mm-hmm. And clearly the advisors were no help. I was like, well, I'll just figure it out. And so I kind of just did that and slowly, slowly, slowly moved my way up. And yeah. what I didn't realize at the time was that what your GPA in college is so different from your GPA in high school. You know, mm. one C is not going to destroy your whole academic career, but a semester, another class here, like that all impacts and it's like an upward hill the whole way. And so yeah. the whole way back up, I was just like pushing through, trying not to take too many classes, trying to be really careful about what I took. Mm-hmm. If I took something and I didn't get it, I immediately was like trying to talk to the professors, trying to talk to friends trying to get on tutoring trying to get you know and there there came a point where I kind of had to be like okay now I can't work and do both like there was a point my junior end of junior year, I believe where I couldn't do both I was like I'm gonna have to take on loans yeah why why what what happened that finally made you realize I need to stop working I think it was I want to say sometime my junior year, I don't remember if it was necessarily my GPA wasn't changing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think something else I can't remember. Yeah. My GPA itself around that time wasn't shifting the way I thought. In my mind, I was like, I'm just going to do really good in a few classes and it's just going to switch and it'll be fine. And that mark of that GPA, once it was on one side, was just like I was taking – I had taken two full semesters and it had just gone up like this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Simple math. When that denominator gets big, right? The number of credits, that number, that, that overall number is not going to move much. Exactly. And yeah. because I had taken so many classes as AP mm. and as dual enrollment, those were making that number larger. Yeah. So it was making it that much harder to push that mark. And by that point I had, like I, I ended up graduating with at least 165 credits. A lot. I mean, yeah. I had a lot. Yeah. And so I was pushing it. And so when I started, I was like, this is going to be great. I'm going to save money. Yeah. I'm going to be ahead of it. It's going to be great. And then <laughs> looking back. Uh-huh. Like, just kidding. All, <laughs> all of that was just big jokes. Yeah. But I mean, you, you went in with the best intentions, right? Nobody could look at that plan and go, Oh, that was a dumb plan. Like, 
-hmm. you went in with the right intentions, with the right plan. And, and the famous Mike Tyson quote, like everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. So you got Mm -hmm. punched in the face. And I, I think it's a very common thing, whether you're first generation, whether you just, uh, whatever the situation is, you, you encounter this world that you're not used to yet. And it's the first time for you, it seemed like you struggled academically and it took you a long time. That was probably your biggest mistake looking back or just listening to it. Your, your biggest mistake probably was it took you too long to realize and, and uh, accept the changes that you need to make and actually make those changes. Would you agree with that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's like you said, it's like with how I grew up in my background, I, the first half of my life, you didn't have the luxury of not trying to figure things out by brute force. That yeah. was what helped me get from point A to point B. You know, I couldn't ask my parents, like I didn't have friends or, you know, my parents didn't have friends who knew what was going, you, you know, it was just like, yeah. they were working all the time. Anything that you had a wall, anytime you came up like a wall or an obstacle, you figured it out yeah. or you weren't getting, you weren't moving forward. And that yeah. also was not an option. Yeah. So to step away from that and, not use a tool that you or a mindset that you use to survive for that long. It's like, what do you mean? I, I don't, why would you do that? It didn't even make sense to me. Yeah. So you graduated with a, a less than stellar GPA. Mm-hmm. What was it? A 2.7. 2.7. A lot of people will look at that GPA and go, okay, I just finished four years of school, 165 credits, you said, um, 2.7 GPA and say, this is evidence that I can't do this thing that I want to do. Why did you not give up? When I graduated, it was such a sweet moment because I was with, you know, my two best friends and I did it. I finally got through all this. Um, graduation is here. And you're just happy that you, you completed this, this long journey of college, right? Mm-hmm. And once you got there, everybody was kind of like, you know, I'm so excited. I don't know what I'm going to do. Or some people had plans. You know, they had um, jobs ahead that they had planned for. Me, I was like, I'm really happy with this completion, but I can't even be happy over it because I feel like I just ruined the rest of my life. Like, I finished this what did I really get? What did I really obtain at this point? You know, I didn't even felt like I deserved to have a degree because it wasn't helpful. It wasn't, it wasn't going to help me in what I really wanted to do. And so at that point, I, I wouldn't say I gave up, but I definitely kind of took a step back Mm -hmm. and kind of try to figure out, okay, what, what can I do? Is there anything I can do? And around that time, or excuse me, a year before that I had got, I had started a job as a pharmacy technician. Okay. And so I was still doing this, you know, and I, I had gotten to a point where I felt comfortable. I felt like, you know, maybe this was working. And so once I graduated, I was like, well, maybe, maybe I'm looking at this all wrong. You know, maybe 
I wanted to do medicine, but maybe not necessarily a physician or a PA or, you know, yeah. that role. Maybe I need to look at a different role in healthcare. And so when I was in the pharmacy, I was like, well, maybe this is it. Maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And I just didn't know about it before. And so I did that for almost eight years. I was a pharmacy technician and I, you know, learned so much from it. And I was able to train teams over the years and I went through it through COVID and I was part of like the immunization team and like was able to help with that and like the PCR rollout and the vaccine rollouts and do all these different skills and all these different things and help so many people. And it wasn't until year five, four or five that I was like, I don't know if this is it, but I couldn't justify something else. You know, I couldn't, I didn't have anything else to tell me, okay, well, what about going back to the doctor? Mm -hmm. And around this time too, I was like, you know what, maybe like I would still see friends that were in medical school or were had just started and they were like telling me all about it and we were talking about it. And, you know, part of me just felt like there was something there, but I, I couldn't, it was like, in my mind, I was like, just because you want something doesn't mean that it's meant for you. Yeah. And so I was like, maybe this is just something I wanted. And it was a desire that really wasn't something that was meant for me that I earned. And so I just kind of kept just looking at it and this would have been like 2019, 2018. Um, when did you graduate college? 2016. Okay. So a couple of years after. Yeah. So at this point, and I will say, as I was doing this, pharmacy was the main thing. Mm-hmm. I did try to kind of just give it a go. Like there was two years after, one or two years after I graduated, I applied to master's programs. Okay. Because I had heard from people, oh, you should do a master's, you should do post back. That that's an option. It'll help you. Give it a go, it. meaning like do some work to get into medical school, or give it a go in terms of go into pharmacy. This was kind of both. Okay. I, it was like pharmacy. Pharmacy was there, and I could see myself sort of, but it wasn't. It wasn't the thing that I had told myself I wanted to do all those years. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? Let me let me just try. And so I applied to master's programs, or excuse me, postdoc programs, and I, you know, I just gave it a go. Like I applied, but I didn't actually go into it. Going, this is my chance. I need to take this seriously. I was just kind of like. You know, I applied at university. I got in a few weeks after, you know, it's going to be the same thing. Mm -hmm. The mindset wasn't fully there in that aspect. And when I applied, I didn't get in. They saw the GPA and they were like, I was like, well, okay, maybe this is my sign. So then I'd go back to pharmacy and I kept going with that. And there was a point, I think it was right before one of my friends got into medical school she was like, I think you could do it. You have a lot of clinical experience, you know, the pharmacy and everything. And I was like, you know, I don't, I don't really know. I haven't gotten into the post-bac master's program. I don't, I don't. We're like, well, well, you never know. 
the one thing I try to tell people when I tell this story is, is don't, don't wing things. Don't wing yeah. MCAT. Don't wing <laughs> applications. It doesn't <laughs> work. It doesn't work. Oh God, don't wing it. Yeah. Um, but I did. <laughs> and I applied. This would have been 2019, 2020. And this is right before the beginning of the pandemic. Okay. Right before kind of going into it. And I applied to medical school. I, I, Applied to medical school. Applied to medical school. Wait, wait, yep. wait a minute. Wait a minute, Alex. Yep. You you just got done telling me. Yep. You applied to post back programs, master's programs, and didn't get in. Mm-hmm. Who gave you the permission to apply to medical school? I don't know. <laughs> I, I honestly don't know. I, I don't know. I couldn't even you tell you honestly. But okay. in my mind, I was like, let me just go through it. Okay. And I... Even saying it, I get like this like knee jerk reaction. Like, what is wrong with me? Yeah. (laughs) And and it's such, right. Obviously you're allowed to apply to medical school. I am not saying you you can't or shouldn't. Um, But I think you're the perfect example uh, of all the time when I, when I look at the data uh, of students applying to medical school and I try to give students, I think a, a rosier idea of acceptance rates. I think there are a lot of students applying to medical school in similar situations to yourself, right? Never really getting the grades that they need to prove to medical schools, hey, look, I can handle medical school, right? It sounds like most of the rest of your application, you have clinical experience, you're you're doing all this stuff, give it a try. And I think a lot of students, whether it's just like, I just wanna see what it's like, or they're gonna love me when they look at everything else, I just hope they overlook my GPA. So I think there are a lot of students in that similar situation that just quote unquote, give it a try or your words, they just wing it. Right. And, and it's an expensive thing to just wing. So it is. you applied. I, I, only, I only did it because I got accepted into the, um, the FAP program, the, the FAP. Program. Yeah. And so, and so they covered yeah. a good portion of the account and they covered a good portion of the schools. And so in That's my great. mind, I was like, you know what, let me, let me use this. What's the harm? Opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you, it, looking back, do you think there was harm other than, I, I think probably now you realize my chance was probably slim to none. Do you think there was other harm other than just kind of ego and, energy wasted money yeah so you still had to spend a little bit of money um and i think too it it definitely set me back because i didn't i'm not i don't regret doing it looking back i wouldn't tell anybody in my position if they asked for advice (laughs) just wing it (laughs) no yeah (laughs) i'm never ever but okay looking back you know, I, I think in a way, had I not gone through the entire experience and I, I went through it and I didn't get, you know, wasn't surprised to me now at yeah. that time I was, I was like, wow, nothing, <laughs> nothing. <laughs> nothing, zero <laughs> nothing. interviews, no, no love, zero interviews, okay. a few secondaries, okay. more automatic ones, but no, no interviews. Yeah. And in my mind, you know, and that wasn't just, you know, the whole cycle as you know, is a full year and, you know, there's so much that goes into it and there's yeah. so much waiting in between. You're spending all I your energy really, on that. It could have exactly. gone to other things. 
And I didn't really understand that. Yeah. I didn't really take all of that into account. The and opportunity think, cost. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think had I not done that, I probably wouldn't have taken when I applied again as serious as I did because I learned, I took, I will say that once I went through that one cycle, I did everything that you could think of. And that I know you've talked about in other podcast episodes, like, you know, I connected with all the people that inter that um, read my application. I reached out to the schools. I asked them to review my application to see yeah. what I was missing. I did exactly what they said. Yeah. I, you know, stayed in contact with them. I networked. I had everything ahead of time because I knew what to expect. Like I, I did everything I possibly could because I knew that my GPA would still be there and it would still be almost like a, a scarlet letter. Yeah regardless of when I applied, if I applied again, you know, it would always be there. And so I have to be really, really smart when I did it again. Yeah. So and I wouldn't have known all that. If I had. Yeah. So, so applying, right. Winging it again, your, your words, um, right. A little bit of money you got FAP. So that definitely helped, but there were potentially some big benefits of applying knowing at least now that you, you weren't going to get in in terms of those connections do you do you feel like looking back that the feedback that you got the connections that you made having gone through that first application cycle do you think that was a big part of why you were successful the second time i i absolutely think so i don't think it's the whole picture okay but networking and connecting with faculty at these schools yeah um and being able to kind of differentiate myself from the rest of the student population that was applying, I think was really helpful mm -hmm. because, you know, it, it didn't take anything for someone to see my application and go, oh, that GPA from undergrad. And and mind you, when I, I haven't gotten to that point, but I did get into a master's program and I did prove that I could do well academically later on, but it didn't take anything for an somebody in the admissions board to look at my application, see my undergraduate score and go, she's probably not going to be able to get through the rigor of medical school mm -hmm. and just throw, you know, cause at this point I'm just a number and a name and a, and words, you know, yeah. you, there's no connection, but I thought, okay, if I can at least put my name out there and have them, they they're seeing it even subconsciously, it'll, mm -hmm connect something yeah. and then would even give me a leg up. I'm not saying it's going to get me to interview no matter, without anything else, but it would at least maybe separate me a little bit. And I was willing to take any advantage that I could. Yeah. So I think, yes. Love it. How did you finally get into a master's program? Cause you, you said you had applied before, didn't get in. Did you, did you find a program that kind of fit what you needed and who you were as a student? So, at the time, um, so after I went through the whole application cycle, mm -hmm. and I was like, okay, this is maybe this isn't it. Um, I still was just I was going back to pharmacy. I was trying to kind of gather my things, and around this time, I was like, you know what? Let me because um, one of the things I said were maybe getting a little bit more clinical experience towards physicians. Um, because I had pharmacy clinical experience, but they wanted something, they, they mentioned scribe, they mentioned me, uh, medical assistant, you know, maybe towards that. And so I was like, oh, okay. 
And so around that same time, I ended up finding this job of a scribe mm-hmm. for a BO. And uh, I, I found it late on like a Facebook group. And I was like, man, you know what? Let me just try. Let me just apply and see what happens. And I thought this had been weeks after they had posted it. So I thought it, they'd already filled a spot. It wasn't going to happen. Um, I ended up applying, getting the job. And this, at the time, I didn't realize, but looking back now was like one of the biggest turning points in my whole career because I ended up finding my mentor. Mm-hmm. And she, I, I, the job was supposed to be a six-month shadowing slash drive position. I ended up being with her for four years as a medical, ended up being a medical assistant for her. And I, you know, helped her with her injections and I helped her with clinical stuff. I helped her with scribing, I helped her with billing, I helped her run her office. And it just, it wasn't so much the, the skill set that I learned, which mm-hmm. definitely helped in my application, but more so the fact that I had someone in the field who could see the person that I was, my work ethic, you know, what, what skill set I brought to the table, the person that I was. Yeah. And I told her, you know, my application, where I was and my journey. And she was like, I, you, you're going to have to do, you know, a master's program after you do something so academic, but I think you as a person would do well in this field. And just hearing that from somebody in the field. Was it, was that the first was, time? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's, it's huge, it's, isn't it? To get that validation huge. from someone. It's huge because before I heard it from my mother and (laughs) (laughs) moms are supposed to say that (laughs) my mom, bless her heart. She's very much tough love. She is a total, excuse my language, badass. And she just, you know, and so hearing it from her was great, but it's very different from somebody in the field doing exactly what you want to do. Something you can see yourself emulating essentially Mm And she saying, no, you could do this. You can do this. If you want to do this, you can do this. And that was after that, I was like, I can do it. You're Game right. on. Game on. Watch out, world. That fall, I was behind a master's program. I was still waiting to hear back from a few. I'd gotten one rejection. I was like, man, okay, I really, I really put in work this time. I really made sure to make sure my personal statement was mm-hmm. top notch. What, what year is this? This would have been 20, 21 I'm trying to think of your full pictures, probably around 21. This no, actually this was during the application cycle. Okay. This was like, I had during the application, application cycle that you applied. 2019, okay. Yeah, Cause I started my master's program the fall of 2019. Okay. I was doing a lot. You had a lot going on. Okay. <laughs> now that I'm thinking about the time, I was like, I'm doing a lot. Yes. Yeah. Okay. But I definitely started 2019. I graduated 2020. Okay. So around this time, <laughs> I was like applying to different schools and I ended up getting an email from them because I guess through the MCAT, they, mm-hmm. AMC, they, they have your emails and they just, yep. so they emailed me um about their master's program it was at case western in ohio and i was like oh i've never heard of you like this is okay <laughs> like it was a total surprise and i remember mentioning to her and she's like that's a pretty good program that's that's awesome you know yeah. apply see what happens okay and so i applied and i i must have done that personal statement at least 15 times rewrote it over and over and over again because i was like i feel like this is my 
I didn't know it, but I felt like this was like my last chance. Yeah. Almost. And at the end, I basically said, you know, if you give me a chance, I, I won't, I will excel and I will prove to you that I'm meant to be part of this field and I will yeah. be an asset. And yeah. Why? Um, why why did you believe that? Because your track record showed differently up to that point. I believe that because even though I had things like my mindset that needed to be shifted and I chose work over academics mm -hmm. in college. My last two years, I worked really, really, really hard and I brought my GPA up to that two seven mm -hmm. and it was, I don't even know what it was before, but it was definitely <laughs> it much was worse. <laughs> it was worse. That's the thing. It was yeah. much worse. And looking at it and just seeing it from face value, it's like two seven is, is terrible. Yeah. But if you saw from where it was, where it yeah. was at that point, it was a big jump. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're, I knew that, hmm? you're the, like, just the, the perfect example. We've, we've had lots of them on the podcast. The perfect example of a student who probably, if given every opportunity to focus on academics, would excel at academics. But unfortunately, your upbringing, your life situation, your whatever forced you to have too many distractions to be able to focus on academics. And maybe some of it's self-inflicted, but a lot of it in, in your situation, a lot of especially immigrant first-generation families, you need to go out and work, right? You need to support family. You need to support yourself. You need to support your, your parents and siblings and all that other stuff. And you just don't have the opportunity to show academic success until you do. So, and, and I will say that personal statement, I dove into what I was doing. You know, I focus on all my strengths in, in the clinical. I was still working in the pharmacy. I was still working as her scribe, clinical assistant. Like I was still doing all these things. Yeah. Um, and I told them, you know, if you give me the chance, I will make, I've made adjustments from that point on. Cause at that point it was 2019. I graduated 2016. It's three years of really assessing. Okay. If I get in, I'm really going to have to make huge changes. Yeah. And at the time I was with my, my husband, my boyfriend at the time. And I remember telling him, you know, if I'm going to do this, I, I really need to, I have to lower my hours. Mm -hmm take out things. I, I really have to give this my hundred percent because it's the only way I'm going to be able to know if it really is meant for me or not. If I yeah. really can show that I can excel. Um, and we, you know, he had to take a lot of the load financially in that mm -hmm. aspect. And I'm glad that he was there because I don't think I would have had or given myself the opportunity to do so. Mm -hmm. um, I took out loans too to make sure that it wasn't too much overload. But I, I think for the first two, for the first two semesters, almost first year, I didn't work. Yeah. I, you know, they, and they also were against it. They're like, you know, you really shouldn't work, you know. And I was like, oh, okay, I hear you. I'm, I'm not, I'm not gonna work. <laughs> and I think I went, you know, I, I still came in once a week here and there for scribing, but the other job I, I definitely took a leave, mm -hmm. and I focused on this. And I was it an online program, the Case Western mm -hmm. program? So it was in person. Okay. But because around this time I started it online, they had online options. Okay. And my option at the time I was going to move to Ohio. They had all these programs that I wanted to do in person. 
um, at Cleveland Clinic and around that same time the pandemic hit. Oh so, yeah, that little thing. Yeah, so that online thing became a permanent uh, okay. situation. Okay. And um, So that helped. Yeah, it did, it yeah. did. And even though it was online, I still, you know, I went there for orientation. I met mm-hmm. two friends and I was like, you guys are gonna be my friends <laughs> for this program, we're gonna get through it. And that's what we, that's, that was my whole focus was this yeah. program. And, um, you know, I, I, I took every single win as like the biggest win, you know, every time I did well in anatomy, every time I did well in a physiology exam, every time I did well in a cumulative exam, I was like, man, this is, these are, I took them as signs. It's evidence. I think at the time I was, I was thinking, you know, maybe I just want this again, maybe it's just a desire more so something that I actually should have that is mine, but, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that was just all the evidence that I need, the encouragement that I needed. And then I ended up graduating and doing well and being able to like become a peer mentor and help other generations. Wow. They're like the next set of students. Like it was, yeah. it was awesome. And I ended up graduating at the three seven and amazing. So like, that was what I needed. I, I worked really hard for it, but I, I definitely needed that to know, okay, I can do this. I can yeah. take that next step. Yeah. So how did you translate that into your next application because there's there's a lot of fear that students have of like having this undergrad of 2.7 but i've proven myself with this master's program at a 3.7 how does that translate on your applications to show hey med schools i'm not the 2.7 i am this 3.7 i will say that i tried to be really transparent about everything Mm -hmm. Um, anything that I could do to have a leg up, I did. So my personal statement, I had ready to go by February of that year. Um, super and early. I had been working on it from <laughs> super early. I was like, I'm not letting any, <laughs> I already have this one big mark. And yeah. I, and at the time I will say my MCAT as well, I had an upward trend, but it wasn't as high as I wanted it to be. And so it was almost like Hail Mary too with this master's program. So I was like, I got it. Academics. I can do this. The MCAT. I was like, oh, okay. It's fine. We're going to try this. We're just going to do everything I can. And so I had been networking all year. I had been talking with the, you know, the different faculty at different schools. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the schools that gave me an interview, I had done this enrichment program over the summer. Nice. That, you know, it was like a three-week thing. I was like, I, it doesn't matter if I end up going there or not. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to put myself out there and connect. Um, the personal statement I had in February, my letters recommendation, I had at least 10 yeah. from the last two years and I made sure they were really good. And I kind of handpicked which ones were going to get sent in, mm-hmm. um, my schools, I had my school list super early because what I learned was that the first time I just, I didn't go in with a plan mm-hmm. and that's really unlike me. And so I was like, okay, this time I'm going to really lean into my strengths. I'm going to really plan this. I ended up applying to should have been eight schools, nine DO schools, no MD. And I was very meticulous when I went through every single school to make sure they were not going to be programs that would immediately screen me out because of my GPA. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, was emailing them. I was making sure, Hey, is this going to be, are you going to basically keep my application? Are you really going to holistically look at it? You know, I don't have the money 
this point I hadn't gotten to that the program. So I was paying out of pocket for everything. I didn't meet their financial assistance because comas, which I also had to learn it, their line of assistance is different from AMC. It's different. So yeah. <laughs> I got AMC again, yeah. but not a coma. So yeah. I'm like, well, and there's a cap for a comus. They they only give out a mm-hmm. certain amount every year, whereas double AMC, if if you qualify, you get it. Period. Right. Yeah. So that was another setback, and I was okay. like, "Well, it, it's fine. I'm going to do it." And I applied to the eight schools that I knew weren't going to re- reject me, at least screen me out initially. They would at least take a look at my application and go from there. Yeah. And every secondary, I you know did what I could. Two weeks, I gave myself that, try to keep in that um, minimum. Um, I had like my friends who were in nurse practitioner school and, you know, different programs, like look at them and look at my doctor, looked at them and just like anybody that would help, you know, give me feedback yeah. and help. Um, and, you know, I just, I tried to do everything that I could. I sent in my application, I think day two after it opened. Yeah. I was like, time is not going to be a factor. <laughs> Strategy is not going to be a factor. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so you got yeah. interviews. Uh, eight schools or nine schools you applied to? I applied to nine schools. Okay. The nine school was kind of a, I randomly threw it in there okay. after the fact. And then they okay. screened me out. Okay. So how many interviews did you end up getting? Three. Three interviews. How many acceptances? Um, two. Two acceptances. What was it like to get that first acceptance? Honestly, I was in shock. I didn't even. Email, I, phone call? They called me and I missed the call. So I was oh, like, no. Then I, and I was like, no. So I was so upset. I was like, let's get that call. But it's fine. Um, I got the email and then I called them back. And they're like, yeah, we were just letting you know. You know, we got accepted. And I was like, oh, my God. And, um, it, it, I was just in shock, I think, for at least two weeks. Like, everyone was so excited. My mom cried. Everyone cried. And I'm just like, no, it's really great. I'm really excited. Yeah. <laughs> what, it, what? <laughs> you were just in shock. Uh, like, I think they called the wrong person. For <laughs> <laughs> me, it's, it's one of those things where I have been, I have been going after this since I was 11. Yeah. I had worked towards getting to med school since 2016. We're in 20, I got my acceptance in March of this year. So 2023. Mm. So seven years that I was just going and going and back and that way and this yeah. way and back and forth. And, and so for it to kind of be like, no, you got it. It's, it's really, it's really happening. Yeah. Was just it. Yeah. I was just in shock. When, when you look back on your journey, seven years, two application cycles to medical mm-hmm. school, <laughs> two application cycles to master's slash post programs, lots of potential evidence that this is not for you. Why, why did you keep going? I initially started because when... When my dad had a stroke, um, the week before, so my family has um, hypertension, hypercholesteremia, and they have strokes. They go, like my grandpa had it, my dad had it, 
my grandpa's grandpa had it. It, it just, it's a line, right? Mm. And the week before the stroke, my dad came in with in a very large swollen lymph node. Mm. It was like under his um, axle and it was huge. And, you know, we went to the hospital. We're like, what is happening? And my dad at the time, my dad had a stroke and he was about 44. Mm. So he was very healthy, um, pretty young. And we went to the hospital and I remember, you know, at the time, I was just, you know, about the journey, but um, we went in and he sought help. And for whatever reason, that day they did tests and everything. And later that day, they're like, you're fine. And they sent him home. A week later, he had a stroke. Yeah. Paralyzed the whole side of his body, you know, the whole scene. And um, we, we were really affected. And we ended up suing um then for that and it was a malpractice suit and we won and at the time i was just very angry i was very upset and i was yeah i didn't really understand what it was like to be the patient of the doctor i don't i didn't know all those nuances but i just knew that my dad went to go get help and was essentially just dismissed and then a week later that happened and you know i for a long time was like i want to do this because i don't ever want any other family to go through what my family had to go through mm-hmm. and that was kind of my underlying fire where i was like i'm never gonna let that happen at the time i was 11 i'm like i'm never gonna do this like i'm gonna be the doctor that just transforms people's lives and you know listens and is is there for the for patients and you know doesn't let anyone fall through the crack you know i'll 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 be there and and i it kind of kept going with that and i think in college when i started to get the setbacks i started to kind of feel like maybe i wasn't the person for the job Hmm. and you know i when i went into pharmacy I was kind of in that like weird limbo where I was like, maybe this is not for me, but I'm just going to keep going. And so when I hit pharmacy and I started to connect with all these patients and there was um, like, I couldn't help them in the way that I wanted to, because I didn't know anything. You know, I wasn't their doctor, right? I was in the pharmacy. I helped them with prescription maintenance. I helped talk to them at the pharmacy. I helped connect that little gap. Mm-hmm. But every time I talked to someone and they would go straight to me and they would have a conversation with me and they tell me their life story. And, you know, sometimes it was things like, Oh, you helped me get my diabetic medication. And I didn't understand the full context of that. And sometimes it was just, Hey, my, my son died last week and I haven't been able to talk to anyone. I haven't been taking my medicine and my, my head's going crazy. And I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. And, and I was able to be there in that moment. And I felt like, okay, I, I have to be part of this somehow. I, I don't know how, but I have to be part of it. And it just kept going and going and going. And I think as I got older, as I got to my master's, as I moved around, I started to see just like the lack of or the deficiency in, in healthcare and like, especially with people who look like me. And it kind of was like, no, I, I have a voice. I have, you know, a drive for this and I can add to 
people who are going to help other people in my community in healthcare because there's a need for that and i just never stopped so all right, there you have it. A great episode talking about kind of just the journey to medical school with ups and downs and all arounds and ultimately showing, hey, if this if this is what you want, you do it. You figure it out, you get there. Hopefully this was helpful. Hope you enjoy the Hippocratic Oath at the beginning. Um, if you're on Instagram or X or Twitter or Facebook, wherever, pre-med hangout. Um, let me know what the Hippocratic Oath means to you. I would love uh, for you to use the hashtag PMY550 and uh, let me know your thoughts on the Hippocratic Oath. Don't forget to check out blueprintmcat.com as well. And I hope you have a wonderful week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. This is MedEd Media.